You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Well, what is up, Grace Church? It's good to see you guys. You look fantastic. You sound great. My name is Kent. I have the great pleasure of serving uh, as the campus pastor for our Olathe campus. And I'm, I'm overjoyed to be here with you guys. Can't wait to just share some things out of the Word today. We are right in the middle of a series called Two Masters. And this is a series surrounding the idea of money management. And, you know, believe it or not, the Bible actually has a lot to say about money. Um, you know, they're over, well, not over, but around 500 verses on prayer in the Bible. Uh, there are under 500 verses on faith in the Bible. And there are over 2,000 verses on money and possessions in the Bible. In fact, Jesus spoke a lot about money in the Gospels. Uh, in the Gospels, there are 38 parables, depending upon how you count them, but 38 parables. Uh, 16 of those parables have to do with money and possessions and our attitude toward them and our management of them. That's 42% of the parables that we find in the Gospels. In fact, teachings about money are so prominent in Scripture that if you identify yourself as a Jesus follower, and I, I, I realize probably in this space there are people who don't. Uh, maybe you're here visiting for the first time, and if you are, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Or maybe you've been coming around for a bit, and you're just trying to figure this whole God, Bible, Jesus thing out and trying to see what, it, what it's all about. Glad you're here. But if you do identify yourself as a Jesus follower, it would be almost impossible not to be balanced in the area of finances if, in fact, we are following the teachings of Scripture. And yet, so many of us struggle in this area. And that's why we're doing this series. We want to help you view and manage your money from a gospel perspective. Um, We also want to help you in another way. We have a course here called Financial Peace. It's kind of an ongoing thing. Uh, But that course is going to be firing back up at the end of this month. And Financial Peace, if you've never taken the course, we strongly encourage you to take this course. It's a biblically-based course uh, that provides tools to help you master your money instead of being mastered by your money. Uh, It's going to give you practical tools on uh, how to create a budget, on how to get out of debt, on how to save, and then most importantly, how to be generous with what you have been given. And uh, the people who uh, lead Financial Peace here at Grace are actually graduates of the course themselves. They do a wonderful job with it, and they have applied the principles that they've learned. And in doing so, they've seen God do some incredible things with their finances. So to see a little more about that and see what I mean, check out this short video. Merry Christmas, you guys. Merry Christmas. Hey, Dave. Merry Christmas. Welcome. Where are you guys from? From Overland Park, Kansas. All right. Kansas City Market. Cool. Yes. Well, welcome. Good to have you guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. And all the way down to Nashville to do your debt-free scream. That's right. How much have you paid off? Paid off $170,000. Love it. And how long did that take? Took us 46 months. Very cool. What do you guys do for a living? Uh, I'm in IT governance for a large national bank. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And I'm a bank teller at a small community bank. Very cool. How long have you guys been married? Four years in September. Oh, cool. Well, congratulations. What kind of debt was the one hundred and seventy? $1,000. So a little bit was my master's degree, student mm-hmm. loan, and then we we paid off the house, Dave. You paid off your house? Paid off the mortgage. You guys, I'm looking at weird people. <laughs> Way to go, man. Yeah. That's a, How old are you guys? I'm 34. And I'm 30. And you have a paid-for house. Mm-hmm. That's so weird. That is so weird. I love it. Way to go. Congratulations, you guys. Yeah, it's, it's almost surreal when you stop and think about it. But, yeah. but like you said, there's a place inside of you that relaxes that you didn't even know was tense. Yeah. Uh, it just changes everything and uh, gives us different opportunities to give, to serve. Uh, our future looks a lot different now. You know, I, I started seeing things differently when I got there, and I, I always challenge people with this is because, you know, the Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender. Mm. I saw that different when I was free than when I was a slave. Yeah. You see it different. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw it's tough to serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. Yeah. I saw it differently when I had two masters. Mm-hmm. But when I just had one. And all I had to serve was Jesus. It changed everything. And we had a lot of support along the way, too. Our, our small group, uh, our family, uh, in particular, Greg and Monica Cook. They're our dear friends uh, in Overland Park, and mm-hmm. they're completely debt-free themselves. Yeah. So we've had a lot of conversations. They got there first. They did beat us there, yeah. but mm. that's okay. But it's always that. Yeah. We've, we've walked through life with them. We've talked through stuff, and we've had the honor of co-coordinating seven FPU classes wow. with them during this time yeah. also. Keep, Thank you. We keep You're taking welcome. the class because we couldn't pass. Yeah, we had to take it eight times in <laughs> so. four years, though. So, but we're getting there. Thomas and Kelly, Kansas City, $170,000 paid off. That's their house and everything, baby. 46 months from the time they got married. Count it down. Let's hear a debt-free scream. Three, two, one. We're debt-free! Is that not awesome or what? I mean, that deserves like something, right? That's amazing. So we're going to be offering the Financial Peace Course uh, in both campuses, so starting Tuesday night, March 27th at the Overland Park campus, and then on Wednesday night, March 28th at the Olathe campus. And if you want more information about the course, actually Thomas and Kelly will be out of the Connection Center uh, afterward. You can go stop by and talk to them, or you can jump on your mobile app, go to events, look up uh, Financial Peace, and you can get information there, or visit gracechurch.com slash events. You can get info there and register. Um, So financial peace is an outstanding tool and an outstanding resource for learning practical ways to manage our money the way God intended us to. Uh, My goal today is not really to discuss the practical aspects of money management, but rather look at one fundamental truth that inspires gospel-oriented money management. And uh, one of the 16 parables that Jesus taught about money is found in Luke chapter number 12. If you want to be turning there in your Bible, you can. Luke chapter number 12 or going there on your device. Um, But Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to see this fundamental truth uh, that I'm speaking of. And before we do that, let's invite the Lord to guide us and give us wisdom as we we jump into his word. Father, again, we, we just love you. We thank you so much for the way that you love us. And we thank you that we can gather together uh, around you, around your word, around praising you and worshiping you. Uh, God, we thank you that uh, in this moment, you want to address the things 
that are going on in our lives and in our heart. You want to transform us and change us. You want to shape us into your image. And then, God, you want to use us to be your blessing in this world. So, God, I pray that the work that needs to be done right now gets done in each and every one of us. Father, may we just allow you to to take this fundamental truth and work it deep inside of our soul so that, Lord, we have a reflection of you uh, when we are with our family and with our neighbors and with our community. So do the work as only you can. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, okay, so Luke chapter number 12. Let me give you a little bit of a context of this. So we'll back up a little bit to Luke chapter number 11. At the end of Luke 11, you see Jesus being invited to uh, the home of a Pharisee, which is a a religious leader of the day. And he's invited uh, to have a meal there at the Pharisee's home. So he goes there. There's some lawyers. There's some religious leaders. And while he's there, a crowd begins to gather outside of the home, as would sometimes happen when Jesus came into a town and they found out where he was because the rumor would start to spread, hey, this famous rabbi is in town, this Jesus of Nazareth is here. So they gathered outside of the house. When Jesus leaves the home, he sees the crowd there and does what he then normally does, which is when he gets a crowd, begins to teach them. And he begins to teach them about eternal things kingdom things. That's what he would do. When he'd see a crowd gather together, he'd start to tell them about his father's kingdom because that's what his life was all about. That was his purpose. That was his mission. And in the beginning of chapter number 12, you see him start to teach on things like the destiny of our soul and the fact that our heavenly father cares for us more than anything else. And the fact that, that the rejection of God or the rejection of the Holy Spirit has terrible consequences, what he would call the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So God, or, or Jesus begins to, to tell these, this crowd about these kingdom truths, and he's relating these, these eternal things to this group. And that's where we jump into the story. So we're going to jump in in verse number uh, 13 of chapter 12. It says this, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So here we have Jesus, God in the flesh, teaching these eternal kingdom awesome truths to this group of people. And this guy interrupts with, hey, Jesus, fix this problem for me. Hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus is teaching, Jesus, by the way, not, you know, like not me or some other Yahoo, Jesus, God in the flesh, teaching eternal things. This guy is not even going to pay attention because his mind is consumed with earthly things. His mind is set on the earthly things, the temporary things, his, specifically on money. He's got his mind on money. He's got his mind on his money and his money on his mind. Make money, money, make money, money, money. That's, that's where he's at, right? That's where he's at. And he's got Jesus standing in front of him telling him eternal things, these eternal kingdom truths. He's like, hey, man, tell my brother to divide this inheritance with me. Now, interestingly, that scenario might be playing out right here, right now. It might be happening on a regular basis. We sit in church listening to these eternal teachings of Jesus, and yet our minds and our hearts are consumed with anything else and everything else earthly things, temporal things, maybe even specifically on money, on our finances. So in response to this man, as he always does, Jesus kind of goes right at the heart of the issue. 
And in verse number 14, but he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And what he's saying here is, look, what you're asking me, this is, a, this is an earthly thing. This is an, now, I'm judge and arbitrator over the universe. It's true. But in this regard, I'm talking about eternal things, and you're telling me about this earthly thing. Go see the magistrate. Go see, you know, get one of those lawyers I just had lunch with and have him work this out for you. This is an earthly thing. I'm about my father's business. I'm about eternal things. Now, Jesus uses this as a teaching moment to elaborate on what he's been saying. So he turns to the crowd again. Look what he says in verse 15. He said to them, right? So he's no longer speaking to just the guy, but he speaks to the whole crowd. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, which means greed or avarice or this constant desire for more. Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So in regard to the management of money and possessions and really everything else in life, this is the fundamental truth that Jesus presents. And it's really the fundamental truth that I want us to consider today. And I would like to kind of repackage it, reform it for you in in, in the form of a question. And the question is this, what does your life consist of? What does your life consist of? What is your life's pursuit. What makes up your life? See, Jesus said that it does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. It doesn't consist in earthly things. It doesn't consist in this temporal world. Life is more than that. Life is more than money and possessions. And yet how much of our life is focused on that very thing? Money, possessions, the the stuff of this life, the stuff that we need to do with our money and our possessions. What percentage of our life, our thoughts, our emotions, our time, our energy is spent on the pursuit of money and the stuff that we can obtain with it? If we were to walk around with like this, you know, um, graphic of a pie chart above our heads, floating above our heads, this digital pie chart, and in that pie chart, it depicted uh, our life's pursuit in uh, our life's pursuit of earthly things versus eternal things. I'm almost embarrassed to think what my pie chart would look like as I walked around and we got to look at everybody's pie chart as we, as we faced off against one another. When I talk about earthly things, I'm talking about, you know, the things that don't outlast this life, the stuff that Jesus said, moth and rust corrupts and thieves break in and steal. When I talk about eternal things, I'm talking about the gospel. I'm talking about the kingdom. I'm talking about sharing our life in Christ with others. I'm talking about making disciples eternal things. What would that look like? What would your pie chart look like? You know, the reality is we probably don't need a pie chart floating above our heads. Our bank account is a pretty good indicator of what our life consists of. Our calendar gives us a pretty good snapshot of what our life consists of. The people in our lives, the people that we're investing in and and how we're investing in them, either in eternal things or earthly things, give us a pretty good indicator of what our life consists of. Is our life made up of earthly things or eternal things? That's the fundamental issue with money and everything else in life. Jesus put it another way. 
In Matthew chapter 16 and verses 25 and 26, he said it like this. He said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, eternal things, will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? The Apostle Paul said something similar to the church in Colossae. In Colossians chapter number 3 and verses 1 and 2, he said, If you then have been raised with Christ... If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower, if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. What does our life consist of? So after giving the crowd this this fundamental truth, Jesus then tells a story to illustrate it. And this is kind of how the parables work. So Jesus would drop down this kingdom truth, and then he would tell a story to help everyone relate to it. Like, this is what this means. And so this is what he gets ready to do right here, starting in verse number 16. And he told them a parable, a story, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, let me just pause right there for a second. This is a story of a rich man in a land of plenty, a rich man in a land of of plenty. Now, and just before you check out, right, in case you're saying, well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not rich. Um, uh, Hold on a second. This is not some obscure example that we can't connect to. I think we can all connect to it to some degree. If you live in America, if you drive a car, if you own a car, If you own a smartphone, if you live in some sort of structure that's got like four walls to it and a roof and running water and a toilet, you're rich. You're rich and you live in a land of plenty. Did you know that one in ten people on planet Earth survive on less than $2 a day? One in ten people on planet Earth survive on less than $2 a day. Many of us will spend more than that on lunch. The wages that someone earns in a month, $60, you might blow that on food today. Did you know that if your household makes more than $32,400 annually, that you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world? Now, I realize that There might be some of you here making $32,400 and saying, doesn't feel like it to me. Doesn't feel like I'm in the top 1%. You are. You're in the top 1%. There's 99% of the people behind you. Did you know that Johnson County is the 89th wealthiest county in the United States out of 3,007 counties? If you live in Johnson County, you're 89. 89. We live in a land where the great majority of our houses are filled with stuff, where the great majority of our garages are filled with cars, where the great majority of our refrigerators are filled with food, where our closets are filled with clothing. We are rich and we live in a land of plenty. Now, I realize that that's not the case for all of us. I understand that there's poverty in the United States. I understand that there's poverty in Johnson County. In fact, the poverty line, we have 6% of uh, Johnson County beneath the poverty line. 
We have homeless people in Johnson County. A lot of people don't even realize that. There are homeless right here. We have people struggling to survive right here in number 89. I realize that some of you right now are struggling mightily with your finances. And it may be because of some poor choices that you made and those things are coming back on you right now. Or maybe it's just because life happened. Circumstances happened to you and all of a sudden you find yourself struggling mightily with your finances. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, this fundamental truth doesn't change. What does your life consist of? If it consists of the abundance of possessions, it will consume you whether you're rich or whether you're poor. You will be consumed by earthly things. Money's not the issue. It's our heart. Now, the man in this story, he, he finds himself in a dilemma. As we go on and read, it says in verse number 17, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I've got all this stuff and I've got nowhere to put it. I've been blessed abundantly. Where, where will I put all my stuff? And he says in verse 18, and he said, Eureka, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Now, I think that many of us, I know I can relate to this man's dilemma, and it's embarrassing to say so, but I can relate to this man's dilemma. What do I do with my stuff? What do I do with all this stuff? I mean, I've been given all this money, and I bought all this stuff, and now what do I do with all my stuff? Where do I put all this stuff? I don't have any room for my stuff anymore. You know what I'll do? I'll build a shed in my backyard, and I'll put more stuff in it. Because my 3,000 foot square house isn't big enough to fit all my stuff. Got too much stuff. I need more closet space. Because I need, I need more closet. I need, I, need, I need a closet just for my shoes. You know what I'm talking about, ladies. Some of you dudes know it too, don't you? You're laughing like, oh, okay, that's me. I have this dilemma. I say this. I've said this several times. What do I do with all that? I got to, I, we got too much stuff. We can relate. Now, please understand me. I'm, I, I'm not against stuff. I'm not against money and having money and stuff. I don't think God is against having money and stuff. Jesus never judged anyone for having money or stuff. He judged them and criticized them for their attitude toward it or being mastered by it. That's what he judged them for. That's what he was critical about. It wasn't that they had it or not. It was their attitude. It was their heart. See, this man, he thought to himself, He had some thoughts about his money and his possessions and his stuff. And this man's first thought about his possessions had nothing to do with God. Had nothing to do with eternal things. The first thing to surface inside this man's heart and mind revealed what his life consisted of. Mainly himself. His thoughts were not on eternal things. Eternal things like gratitude. Gratitude. He did not think to himself, man, Lord, you are awesome. Thank you so much for all of this stuff. And this, I'm just blessed beyond measure. I just want to give you praise. That wasn't his first thought. His first thought wasn't, uh, man, I can't wait to honor the Lord with an offering from all that I have. 
God, he didn't think, man, I can't wait to bring this offering before you, Lord, and honor you and bring you glory for all the things you've given me. I want to make sure that you're the first priority in my life, and I want to make the... That wasn't his first thought. His first thought wasn't, man, now I can bless other people. He didn't think to himself, God, you have blessed me so abundantly, and obviously you've blessed me so I can be a blessing to someone else. Now, who can I lay the smack down of blessing on? Who do you want me to give away this, this, this stuff to? Who can I be generous toward? Those weren't his first thoughts. See, this man had forgotten what the book of Proverbs says about money, if he ever knew what they said in the first place. But the book of Proverbs says to honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be, fill, will be bursting with wine. He forgot the proverb that said, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And he, the Lord, will repay him for his deed. What are your first thoughts when you get your paycheck? If you get a paycheck. What are your first thoughts? What are your first thoughts when you get your allowance? If you get an allowance. Or how about that bonus check, that tax return, that gift, maybe inheritance? What are the first thoughts that surface in your heart and in your mind? Because whatever immediately surfaces in your heart and in your mind is probably a good indicator of what your life consists of. For where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. See, God wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to enjoy our moments, enjoy our relationships, enjoy our possessions, enjoy our money. He wants us to enjoy all that his good world has to offer, only with an eternal perspective, with our sight set on Christ above and not on the things of this earth. See, this man in the story, he doesn't have a money problem. He's got a heart problem. It's the same heart problem that affects all of us to some degree or another. Well, he goes on in the story in verse number 19. He says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now, does that, that statement, does that not sound exactly like the basically recent, modern, Western idea of retirement. Hey, man, I'm going to store up money and goods so that I can relax and I can eat and I can drink and I can be merry. Now, listen, there's, there's a lot I can say about retirement right now. I don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. But um, here's one thing I will say. And by the way, I'm not against retirement and all that kind of stuff. You, yeah, save up and do that. But here's the thing. One thing about retirement is this. There is no retirement from kingdom work. There is no retirement from gospel work. You ride and die with Jesus. In fact, you ride till you die with Jesus. That's how that goes. You don't stop gospel kingdom work until you're either unable or you're dead. That's how that works. You don't just get to take the last 20 years off playing golf and going on cruises. And I'm not against playing golf and going on. I love golf. I'm terrible at golf, but I love it. I want to go on cruises. Take me when you go next time. 
It'll be awesome. But man, let's not just, we don't get to take 20 years off from the Lord and from his work. He's called us to something. And we don't get retirement. You know what? In fact, we all get retirement. Every single one of us, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, it's called death. That's retirement, where we retire from this earthly, uh, temporal life into an eternal existence. Are you ready for that retirement? We hear a lot about, hey, you should be ready for retirement. You should be ready for retirement. Are you ready for that retirement? Or have you spent all of your energy, time, effort, and money getting ready for this earthly retirement? And this is just the point that Jesus makes in the next verse. Verse number 20. But God said to him, fool. That's harsh, isn't it? God just calling you a fool. Fool. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? See, this is the reality for all of us. This is what we all have in common. One day, our soul will be required of us, meaning that God is going to demand an account for our soul. He's going to demand an account for our existence, our essence, our presence in this life. And he is going to ask the question then, what did your life consist of? Far better that we ask that question of ourselves now and get a good answer for it so that when we arrive there, we'll have something good to say. What did your life consist of? I gave you your life. I gave you everything in your life, all your money, all your possessions. What did you do with it to glorify my name and advance my kingdom? See, this... He says that the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? See, if you have an eternal perspective on life, you understand that those things, the money, the possessions, the stuff that we have, it was never yours in the first place. Like Job said, we came naked into the world, we're going naked out. And in between those times, we're lended some things. We're given stuff that's not ours. It's God. God is loaning us some things. We are all financial managers for the king of the universe. We're asset managers for the king of the universe. And guess what? He expects an eternal return on his investment. It's not your stuff. You don't own anything. I don't own anything. And when you figure that out, by the way, it's kind of like in the video, it kind of takes the pressure off. Our money and our possessions, whether we have a lot or a little, are given to us to manage for gospel purposes, to advance God's kingdom in this world. Now, Jesus concludes his story with a statement. Verse 21, he says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, earthly riches, temporary things, and is not rich toward God. Eternal riches. You know, I, I had the pleasure of serving in student ministry for a, a long time, and, and I used to take students on mission trips in different places around the world. And not too long ago, I got a chance to take a group of students to uh, India. And if you've never been to India, it is, uh, 
It's an incredible place. It really is. It's a, it's a crazy culture and uh, radically different than what we experience here, but it's beautiful. The people are beautiful. But here's a strange dynamic. What you have in India is this, this uh, extreme wealth situated right up against extreme poverty, kind of like in this picture right here. You see these, these jutting skylines that stick out, and some of those pockets of those skylines are extremely wealthy, just these beautiful places and cars and all that kind of stuff, and right up next to it are slums, and they go for miles and miles and miles, just slums. And the missionary that we were supporting, still support actually, uh, we were there visiting him, and, and he is a missionary to the people of the slums. And he was going into the slums and preaching the gospel and starting churches and just doing an amazing work. And so we would go in there and, and we would uh, go to people's homes and we would uh, tell them about Jesus if they didn't know Jesus or weren't part of the church. Or we'd go into the people's homes who were part of the church and just try to be a blessing to them and love them and all that. And, and when I say homes, by the way, I, I just want you to understand, I'm talking about a 20 foot by 20 foot space where a family of five to eight live in that space. And when a family from the church, they would invite us in. Of course, they want to give us something so they can be hospitable toward us, but they have nothing to give us. They know it's hot outside. It's August in India. If you've never been, if you've ever been to, uh, if you ever go to India, try to stay away from August. But anyway, uh, it's hot. They know we're thirsty. They can't give us water because they know it's going to make us sick. So what do they do? They run down to the corner shop, if you want to call it that, some dude that's got a cooler that's selling some bottled colas out of his, his cooler. They, they send one of their kids down to buy one of those for us. And when they don't have any money, even to support themselves, but they go down, they get a drink. They can't buy a whole bottle. So they get a portion of the bottle poured into a baggie, a plastic baggie. And then they put a straw in that baggie and they wrap it up real tight. And then the boy brings it back so I can sit there and drink it in front of them. Why they have complete joy on their face content, filled with the love of Christ, rich toward God. I have a friend also who served with us in student ministry, and uh, he lives here in the area. He owns a business, very successful. He's, he's got lots of money. He's got lots of stuff. And you know what he's always trying to do with his money and stuff? Give it away. He's just trying to give it away, and he can't seem to outgive God. He keeps trying to, and God keeps blessing him and blessing him and blessing him, but he keeps trying to give it away. And when he was involved in student ministry with us, he was like, this dude bought a, a school bus. He bought a school bus. I said, dude, why, why are you buying the school bus? And he goes, because we can take students to places. We can take them to camps, and we can take them to retreats so they can learn about Jesus, and we can take lost kids who don't know Jesus, where they can, and they can get sick. Okay. He would let us do all of our events, not all of them, but a good majority of our events at his house where he had a little bit of property and land, and we would just abuse the crud out of that place, just tore it down, and he would just, with a smile on his face, watch us leave. I mean, we just had a 4th of July party. There's 200 high school students with Roman candles in their hands. Do the math. Just blew that dude's house up, and he's like, yeah, see you next time. He understood that his stuff, his money and possessions, they were only an earthly means to an eternal end. See, these are two examples of two people who were rich toward God. See, some of us, by the world's standards, were poor, but we're rich eternally. And some of us, by the world's standards, are rich, but eternally poor. I want to finish today by reading the last portion of this chapter to you. 
And these are words that Jesus said to his disciples. So he tells the story to the group. And then he, it says he turns to his disciples in verse number 22. It says he said to his disciples specifically. And I want to read what he said. And here's what I want to do. I'm not going to have the words up here. If you want to follow along in your Bible or on your device, that's fine. I just want to read this to you. I want you to listen. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I want you to listen to what Jesus might be saying to you right now. What does he want to say to you right now about everything we've just talked about? This is what he turned and said to his disciples. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They, never, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse uh, nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If you then are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink or be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after those things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, Jesus, we thank you for these words. God, we thank you that you care for us in the way that you do. The fact that you love us and and you desire us and you care for us more than we can possibly imagine. You want to take care of us and all the, the needs and the things of earth that we spend so much of our energy on. You want to just provide. Father, thank you. And God, we want to be what you're asking us to be, people who, are, who have our hearts and our minds set on the kingdom, set on eternal things. God, make us a church of people who are set and focused and have our affections set on eternal things where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. And Lord, through that, transform us and change us and then make us your blessing in this world. Make us your glory. May we be rich toward God. And Father, for anyone here who is unable to have an eternal perspective because they don't have a relationship with the eternal God, would you please, in this moment, let them know how much you love them, that they are more valuable to you than anything else, and you died to pay the price for their sin, and you want a relationship with them. Do work right now in this room, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.